Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. Is up, plant people. Today's oh, a lovely fall Wednesday in 2020. It's time again for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general amazingness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and you're stuck with me today. That's right. We haven't done one in a little bit, but it's time for another solo episode. We're going to be talking about plants and world traditions. This is one I've been trying to get out actually for a little while. And for whatever reason, I've kept pushing it back. I, I have found other things to do. I've talked about different things. And this is one that I'm really excited about. So we're going to talk about trees. This episode is titled Plants and World Traditions. Find some shade. So we're going to talk about different tree myths, um, uh, trees in religion and culture and the way that different cultures have looked at trees over time. But first, we're actually going to talk about trees themselves and a little bit of the science involved in tree growth and tree production and uh, different things involved there. So uh, there will be a mid-roll today, so I'll talk about some of the housekeeping things, things is whatever. Then, so I'm not going to belabor this too much more. I think I will use the word belabor a lot in this podcast because I think I tend to belabor things quite a bit. That's, that's me. Hi. Hi, my name is Vikram, and I talk a lot. Anyway, I'm a podcaster. That's what we do. So I hope you're ready for a good one. I, I'm really excited about this topic and this content. Trees hold a special place in my heart, and we'll talk about that too. But get ready for episode, I think, 59. I believe this is 59 of the Planthropology Podcast. Plants and World Traditions. Find some shade. Hey, we're back. Did you enjoy the happy music? I keep talking about recording new podcast music, and I could do it. I think I have the skills. I have the tools. We can rebuild them. We can make them stronger. We have the tools. We have the the equipment. But for whatever reason, I have not done that yet. So maybe that'll be a winter project for me. Maybe I will uh, actually take the time to record some things and put out a new theme song. Maybe I'll even let you vote for that. Do you like voting? I hope you like voting. Go vote. Can you vote? I don't know. We'll we'll work that out. So let's talk trees. So I live in a part of the universe, and this has come up on the show often over the last couple of years, that doesn't have trees. We don't we don't have trees. There's no native trees. Now people will argue with me. Um, uh, crowd favorite and multiple time guest Kyle Tangler would definitely disagree with me in some ways about this, and we can fight about it later if he listens to this, but. This is a medium to short grass prairie. Short to medium grass? I always say medium to short. I think his M comes first. But if you were to stand where I'm sitting or sit where I'm sitting 500, 600 years ago and turn around in a circle, you would see two, three, four foot tall grass as far as you could see. I bet this was actually a pretty intimidating place to settle as early settlers came across this part of the country. Now, there were indigenous peoples here that had been living on this land and with this land for hundreds, thousands of years before uh, European settlers came through. So they knew how to deal with it. But a lot of the Europeans coming through, uh, either on cattle drives from the south through Mexico or, or moving west on the westward expansion of the United States, were used to trees. 
So as homesteads got established, as uh, development happened and cities were built and all of these things, people started planting trees. And I think it's easy to see why. Trees are a big deal in almost every culture around the world. They serve a lot of purposes. They uh, add to the landscape. They give us shade. They give us shelter for um, animals, for for ourselves. We get a lot out of trees. Now, I'm a tree guy. I uh, It's interesting because I, I have come up through the landscape design kind of landscape world into my current position at this university as a lecturer, instructor, greenhouse guy. But I, I have a special place in my heart for trees. We had a family cabin in um, South Central Colorado for, for years and years. And I remember spending summers up there, uh, winters, we would spend Christmas and and I would never been much of a skier, but the family would go skiing because they were good at it. I, I was not. I would go and drink hot chocolate and eat hamburgers and stuff. But um, the trees and the smell of trees and all of that has a, has a special place in my heart. My, a big part of my soul, uh, I think, still lives in the San Juan Mountains of Southern Colorado. But let's talk about trees themselves. And then we'll talk about, talk about their importance more in a lot of cultures. So there's an old quote that goes, that's attributed as most old quotes are to either the Greeks or the Chinese. And, and who knows? Who knows where it came from? But it's been said that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. So if there are not trees around you, uh, maybe plant a tree. Now make sure that you're planting trees that are well adapted to the area. That's a big deal. There are trees that are either invasive or they use resources that your area doesn't have. And those probably shouldn't be planted. But do a little research and figure out what works well for you and go plant a tree. Again, the second best time to plant a tree is today. So that in 20 years, people don't have to say the same thing. But what is a tree? What, what does a tree do? How does a tree work? Uh, what's the definition of a tree? So I'm at least going to blow, I think, someone's mind when I say this, and I apologize. But the word tree doesn't really mean anything. There's a lot of words like species and tree and uh, you know, a lot of biological things that don't really make any difference. They don't really mean anything. And what I mean by that is how do you define a tree? If you look at the literature, a tree is commonly defined as a plant with woody growth. So secondary growth that puts on wood and bark and all of those things that has a single upright axis. So a single trunk, um, that, that branches at the top whatever has it's it grows on one axis and a shrub is commonly defined as a woody plant with multiple axes but what about a multi-trunked tree like a red oak sometimes they will have multiple trunks three five seven trunks that, that grow up and develop even in nature are those not trees well they're big right they're 20 30 50 feet tall but they have multiple axes so are they not a tree Yes, they mostly grow up, right? And let's talk about something like a vitex, vitex agnus castus. You may have heard that called chaste tree or monk pepper or uh, Texas lilac. There's different names for it. So this tree, this plant, I call it a tree because that's often how it's sold. It wants to be a shrub. It's always going to put up root suckers. It, it grows from the base. It grows from the roots. And it typically, if you were to leave it alone, would have a very shrub-like growth form. It would have multiple axes. It grows multiple trunks. But you can prune it into a tree form. You can prune it into a single axis. So is does it become a tree? 
how does this, what is the the magical number of pruning cuts you have to make to turn a shrub into a tree? The point I'm trying to make is that when you hear the word tree, it elicits a specific image, right? This big single trunk, this big canopy, this majestic thing, but that word maybe doesn't mean anything. Now, that is scientifically. Colloquially, if I say tree and you think big single trunk with leaves at the top, and that's what I mean, and we're talking about the same thing, it's a tree, y'all. We split hairs and we get into semantics and science quite a bit when really we should be talking in terms that everybody understands. Now, again, there's no hard and fast rule as to what a tree is, but as we move forward through this episode and as you move forward just in general, maybe think of trees as big, tall things that put on wood and define it really however you like. Uh, the specificity sometimes is less important than the understanding that language delivers and language evolves. So it happens. So, but generally, generally we consider a tree a woody plant, a large woody plant that is perennial, lives multiple years, and has a single axis. Trees, again, serve a lot of purposes in the world. And we talk about like O2 production, so oxygen production from a tree. And that's true. They do that a lot. You've probably seen um, maybe the Trillion Trees Project where it's like, oh, let's plant a trillion more trees in the world. And that's good to replace trees where they've been lost. But should we be planting trees in places where they did not normally exist? Because it turns out that prairie is important. Prairie produces tons of oxygen. Prairie sequesters a lot of carbon, which we'll talk about in just a second, uh, and, and hides carbon in the soil and, and adds to soil biology. Um, ecosystems are driven in a very specific way based on prairie or tundra or, or different things. So I think, by all means, plant trees. I plant trees here in Lubbock, Texas, where now that even though they weren't quote-unquote native, and let's put a pin in that because maybe native doesn't mean anything either, um, or it means less than sometimes we think it does. I like having a tree in my yard and there's enough of them here that no, we're not going to go cut down all of the trees in Lubbock, Texas, so we can be grassland prairie again. Maybe let's just plant trees that make sense, but they do produce a lot of oxygen. They go through this process of photosynthesis, which is this incredible thing where a plant takes solar light radiation, radiant energy from this big nuclear furnace, 90, what, 96 million miles, 93 million miles away, one astronomical unit from here, about eight, seven to eight light minutes. And through this incredible process, takes water and carbon dioxide out of the air and invisible gas and turns it into houses. Now, there's a couple of intermediary steps there where we build sugar and we use those sugars to fuel the protein synthesis that makes all these other things. But plants are typically carbon heavy and we use those carbohydrates made from photosynthesis to build a tree. And then we take that carbon and we take the carbon locked up from the atmosphere through photosynthesis and we build structures and we lock away that carbon. So responsible forestry, where we're doing things like producing cross-laminated timbers that has almost the strength and fire retardant ability as, as steel and concrete and taking carbon out of the atmosphere, growing trees and locking it up in construction. It's not a bad idea. That's a way we could sequester a lot of that. Again, sequester means to hide whatever to, to take out of somewhere and put somewhere where it can't get away. Prairies do that too. Algae does that too. 
where algae will grow and produce tons of oxygen, lots and lots and lots of oxygen, probably as much as all the trees in the world. So call it maybe 30% algae, 30% prairie, and 30% um, trees and plants. And then there's another 10% in there that does something else. I'm making up those numbers. Those are not hard and fast rules. But the point I'm trying to make is that there is a balance between different organisms, different photosynthetic organisms in the ecosystem in terms of carbon sequestration and oxygen production. But all those things are really cool to me. I think it's amazing that we can take sunlight and turn it into candy bars and houses and shirts and all of this stuff. It, it, it gets me really excited about science. It's, it's again, you know I'm a plant nerd. That's, I think, part of why you listen to the show, that you may be a little bit of a plant nerd too. Or you just like good stories, which the story of how a tree turns light into houses, I think, is a pretty darn good story. Um, trees also serve as the habitat for, goodness, so many things in all stages of their life cycle. Birds, squirrels, mammals, uh, whatever. Squirrels are mammals, by the way. I, I know that. I, I'm not. I am a plant guy, but I at least know that a squirrel's a mammal. But all kinds from insects to mammals to fungi use trees as their habitat for protection, for um, food sources, for living. Even after a tree dies, the amount of biodiversity that lives in a fallen tree trunk is incredible. It's incredible. So trees are important in every stage of their development and every stage of their ecosystem. They stabilize the soil. The roots of a tree is massive. They used to say that a tree looks like a wine cup on a tea saucer. You know, as beloves, as beloved, as above, so below. I'm just going to leave that in. And uh, they would say that maybe the canopy of a tree, the top part of a tree, is similar in diameter to the bottom part of a tree, the roots. It's actually probably more like a wine glass on a dinner plate or a wine glass on your dinner table where the root system of a tree can extend anywhere from one and a half to three times the height of the tree or the canopy diameter from the base of the tree. So we have these extensive underground root systems that are doing things like stabilizing soil, holding mountains together, protecting them from erosion. Uh, beaches, there are beaches in the world that are held together by mangroves that, that grow in the water and keep the sand and stuff in place. They mitigate the effects of hurricanes as soil tries to wash back out to sea. Those trees hold it in place. They stand up to the incredible forces of nature, and they keep doing their thing. Trees are incredible, really incredible organisms that uh, do a lot of things. They even do something called hydraulic lift, where in somewhere where I like where I live, we have fairly sandy soils and a fairly shallow water table. We can drill down and usually hit aquifer in, oh, 100 to 200 feet, which compared to some places is pretty shallow. Tree roots can get down there in those sandy soils, and as they pull water out um, through capillary action in these saturated soils, they'll actually move the water table up a little bit closer to the surface, where the roots of other plants may be able to get to it. It's really something really pretty neat. Do trees control the weather? Yeah, probably. Probably they do. There's been data in different places, in desert areas, through um, parts of Africa and through Australia and South America and even in the U.S. where tree planting and tree restoration, again, we should be putting things as much as we can uh, back to how they should be or at least planting things that make sense. 
um, those processes can actually increase rainfall, re- reduce temperature by shading the soil and keeping the re-radiation of solar energy down to a minimum. There's a lot that trees do for this planet. Also, they're awesome. I want to tell you a story about a tree. So growing up, my mom and I, until I was about 10 years old, nine or 10 years old, uh, lived with my grandparents. And we had this big, I think, I don't know, McAfee or Macintosh, not McAfee, probably Macintosh apple in our backyard. The apples were not great. They were green. They're good, good pie apples, good uh, baking apples, but they, they weren't great for fresh eating. But it was a beautiful tree. It was maybe 20, 25 feet tall. Uh, we had a swing in it. I remember this vividly. Uh, that my granddad and I built together. And uh, I loved this tree. We built a little platform in it, like a tree house. I would climb it. I would sit in the shade. We would eat the apples if we were, you know, really wanted to, if we were feeling froggy that week. And I remember when that tree died and we had to cut it down that that I, it's, it's it was almost like I lost a friend, right? Because I had spent so much time in and around and looking at this, sitting there looking at this tree. I've always been a plant nerd, y'all. Uh, my granddad and I grew up gardening and we grew up doing stuff in this tree. And that was, I still remain, remember that feeling of losing it, right? And and there, I'm going to be super extra nerdy here. There's a quote from uh, one of the Avengers movies, the second one, which is arguably not the best one, um, where at the end, Vision is talking to Ultron, the bad guy. And it says, a thing is not beautiful because it lasts, right? We hold the memories of things. And so trees are something that I think they don't live forever. I, I, I know they don't live forever. Every, every organism has a set number of days, of minutes, whatever. And maybe I'm waxing a little more philosophical than I intended to, but some of these trees, you know, fruit trees don't live that long, 50, 100 years maybe, or or less if the conditions aren't ideal. But then we get trees like the bristlecone pine, which is arguably my favorite tree. They can, we don't know, we don't know the upper limit. They can live thousands and thousands of years. Some of the oldest ones are 5,000 years. We don't know how much longer they can go because we don't have that memory. They are the ancients of our world. They have genetic memory to ice ages and different things. They're incredible organisms. There's a big stand of aspen trees uh, called Pando. Yeah, I believe in Scandinavia. Now, I could be wrong about that. Someone can correct me on that. Uh, I think I always say the wrong place when I talk about it. But it's estimated to be um, some 80,000 years old. Uh, Aspen trees uh, spread through the roots. And so they're all genetically the same organism. 80,000 years. It's it's the largest living organism on the planet because it's all they're all clones of each other. Every aspen tree up there, and they're all connected through the root system, and it covers hundreds of square acre or hundreds of acres. And so, I, I you know I'm I'm talking a lot about the the maybe the growth and the philosophy and the importance of trees. But after the break here in just a minute, we're going to talk about how different cultures throughout time and around the world have viewed trees. And, and as always, I want to make a caveat as we get into this, that I am by no means an expert in uh, some of the history involved here. I, I, I do some research and I, I try my best to represent it uh, factually and as clearly as I know how. But if there's um, if I'm talking about your culture and there's different ways to approach it, please let me know. I would love to have you on the show and talk about it. I would love to do a follow episode and and correct some of my uh, maybe mistakes or missteps, but I try to do justice to the cultures that we talk about, and I try to paint as wide a picture as 
I can. But we're going to talk about kind of three aspects of trees in lore and mythology and in world traditions after the break. So I'm going to uh, kick it to myself in the mid-roll, and then we will keep going. Well, hey, welcome to the mid-roll. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. I'm glad you're here. It's good to have you. So not a whole lot to talk about today. Uh, I've got a lot of good interviews coming up. A lot of good interviews coming up. I've got several recorded that I cannot wait to put in your brain cases through your ear holes. Uh, Aside from that, though, follow us on social media for updates and information about those episodes. So you can find Planthropology on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Type in anthropology, slap a PL on the front, and look for the bristlecone pine. That'll be me. I am also on the TikTok machine as at the plant prof. You can find me and whatever was left of my dignity there. And if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. And uh, if you would like to give a little bit to help support the show, that's fine. Uh, you're under no, no obligation to do that. The Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science and the College of Ag Science and Natural Resources in general has been so supportive of this that they, they really take care of this and make this whole thing possible. But if you'd like to help out and you'd like to become more involved, uh, that is definitely something you can do. I may be switching over from Patreon soon. I haven't completely decided. I uh, I feel like I'm maybe shortchanging my patrons a little bit, and I say that in all honesty. I'm not great at getting out bonus content. I barely sometimes get my main episodes out. So I may be switching over to, to buy me a coffee or one of these other services that are either more single transactional or uh, you know, uh, less long-term, but you can still donate long-term if you'd like to. But uh, we'll talk about that more later, but it's something I'm kicking around. So I would love to get your input on that. If you want to message me on social media or email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com and let your let me know your thoughts about subscriptions and different subscription services or your desire to support the show, I would appreciate that. Also, I would appreciate it a lot if you would drop me a rating and review, either on Apple Podcasts or whatever we're calling it these days, or on Podchaser. Podchaser is a great service where you can actually learn a lot about the people producing podcasts. Um, I really love their interface. I love the user experience there, and I really value the feedback and the opportunity to give. So if you you have a few minutes and you want to leave me a five-star or an honest review and or an honest review, I hope you're giving me honest five-star reviews and ratings and all of that, uh, either on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere else that you can leave a review. I would really appreciate it. So uh, that's about all. Mid-roll over. Let's get back to the show. Okay. Are you still with me? I'm glad you're still with me. It's good to have you here. We'll talk for a few minutes about trees and mythology and trees in world tradition. So I broke this out into three sort of distinct sections that I'm going to talk about. I thought for a while about how I wanted to present this. And I think what I've decided is we're going to talk about three major types of tree lore that pops up in different cultures all over the world. I thought about going culture by culture, and I always feel kind of weird about doing that because sometimes, you know, clearly I don't represent all of these different cultures, and I don't know everything, and I'm always a little afraid to miss stuff. Um, But I thought... Also, maybe a take about taking specific species of trees and talking about the folklore and the uh, mythology and other things surrounding specific species of trees. But there's so many of them. <laughs> How do you do that? There's a lot of trees out there, like lots and lots and lots of trees. So what I've decided to do is talk about these three common themes that we see popping up all over the world. 
in different ways. And I'm going to talk probably in generalities because, again, there's so many examples of this. I'll give a few specific ones, but I wanted to talk just in grand terms, in large terms, how we as people, as humans, as people that um, develop religions over time and develop culture have looked at the world around us and looked at these trees. So we're going to talk about world trees, which are maybe some of the more common traditions that are involved here. We're going to talk about trees of life, and then we're going to talk about tree deities. And then I may do a follow-up episode because there's so much richness here, and I I may take one of those other, uh, I guess, ideas or or plans of attack and do a follow-up episode to this uh, here later in the year or beginning of next year, okay? So actually, that's another thing you can let me know. How would you like me to proceed? Would you like to hear more about this? Would you like me to approach it in a specific way? Is there a culture or a group of cultures that you would really like me to tackle? Please let me know, okay? But um, let's start with world trees. So what is the world tree? Uh, World trees can be a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. And, And one way that we look at it or one way that cultures have kind of conceptualized world trees is that the entire world or the universe is one big tree. And there's different ways that this has been approached. So one of the more maybe popular, at least in the West, that we talk a lot about is uh, the Norse world tree, Yggdrasil. So it is a great ash tree, which actually we see the ash tree pop up in a lot of different traditions, which is, to me, very fascinating. But the world tree was used as a way that gods and messengers would travel from world to world and different parts of this world tree represented different realms and different worlds. And so the Norse believed that the world tree kind of ran like an axis or pole through this world and the realms above and below it. Uh, Again, this is the great ash tree Yggdrasil. It nourished the gods, humans, and animals. It connected all life and all different phases of existence. Now, this is there's a lot in this lore, right? And it's been popularized in pop culture through Thor and different things. And Norse mythology kind of comes in and out of fashion sometimes. But it stands in the middle of the world, and its branches stretch out over all nine of the different realms. Each realm hangs on its own branch. Um, but if the tree falls, all the realms fall. So It's this idea of connectedness through all different realms of existence. And all these different parts have their own purpose, their own um, sort of, I I guess, function in the world tree. It was, uh, the, the world tree, Yggdrasil, was carried by three enormous roots. There was a well located in the lore next to each of the roots, um, And they both kind of plugged into different realms, like realms of life or of poison, of eternity, and all of these different things. Um, There there are stories that some of the roots maybe sort of started to suffer over time. And that caused problems in the world, that caused different things like that. So this world tree connected everything. And it was important to all parts of life. It was the view of the cosmos. And it, it again, the, the world tree could be even called the universe tree, supported everything. And the gods lived at the center um, of 
this, this great tree. But we see this kind of tradition of this world trees in different uh, cultures, not just in Europe either. I mean, we did we do see a lot in Europe uh, through Latvia, Lithuania, uh, northern Germany. Uh, in this tradition, it was thought to maybe be an oak or a birch or an apple, maybe more common in some of these areas. Um, and the spirits of the dead lived in the world tree, right? When you die or when someone would die, their spirit would go and inhabit this tree. Uh, Greek folk tales talked of uh, the underworld and uh, demons or goblins or whatever um, who would try to cut the roots of the the world tree, essentially, that would hold up earth and sky. And there's similar, I guess, iconography and similar uh, pictures of this even in Norse mythology where there were uh, evil serpents gnawing at Yggdrasil's roots. Um, in India, we go over to the east into the Southeast Asia um, there was a cosmic tree uh, that kind of did the same thing. It, it was the um, sort of collection of all of existence. The, an interesting thing is that this tree was thought to kind of grow upside down where its roots stretched into the sky and its branches grew down and covered the earth and helped protect the earth. So we see world tree traditions pop up all over the place, all over the world. Um, and again, a lot of traditions, for whatever reason, and it may be that this tree was kind of uh, ubiquitous, you know, they find them everywhere. Um, but the ash tree pops up over and over and over again. Um, we see it in uh, some First Nations people here in in the uh, North America in, you know, indigenous folks to this part of the world. And um, that first humans emerged from the bark of ash trees shot by the arrows of a great hero in North mythology, Norse mythology. And in addition to um, Yggdrasil being a giant ash tree, man and woman are created from an ash tree and an elm tree. So two very common trees there. Ash wood is pretty strong. It's resilient. It's made into everything from tools and arrow hafts or shafts to uh, baseball bats. Um, in classical mythology, Cupid's arrows were made of ash wood. Uh, and it's uh, oftentimes the ash tree is used as a love charm in many folklore. So the ash tree serves purposes all over the world. And we, when we think about and talk about kind of convergent or, uh, yeah, convergent development of myth and things like that, it would make sense that if this tree grows in a lot of different places, it may be very important to a lot of different cultures all over the world, uh, which is very, uh, to me, very, very interesting. The next, I guess, tradition of the, the next sort of category I want to talk about is the tree of life, which is in some ways um, similar, in some ways very different. Trees of life um, have long been considered um, the source of immortality, of life, of, of longevity, and all of that. And a lot of that is because of the tree itself. Uh, trees provide shade. They bear fruit. They've been associated with these things throughout time. Evergreen trees uh, that remain green all year became symbols of immortality, 
of, of undying life. And we talked about that actually last year when we talked about our first Plants and World Tradition series. Um, and we talked about trees of the winter solstice and Christmas trees and things like that. Uh, deciduous trees who lose their leaves in the winter and produce new ones in the spring symbolize renewal and rebirth. So we get this picture throughout cultures of trees representing immortality. And we see it in religions. We see it in a lot of things. And I, I mentioned earlier that trees have a lifespan and trees do die, but they they live a long time. They live a long time. And, you know, again, when we talk about things like the um, spin tree or some, some different ones that kind of all connect together or the bristlecone pine that had lives for thousands of years, hundreds, uh, thousands of years for sure, but commonly hundreds of years or uh, giant sequoias and different plants that really live a long time in the scale of human existence. They do feel like the immortals of our world. We see uh, trees of life in creation stories from lots of different culture uh, from Persia to um, the Netherlands, to the peoples of North America, uh, we see these trees of life that kind of sprung life out. And we talked about this a minute ago. Uh, we see in the East common pictures of this tree of life with sacred animals that were important to very East, uh, various Eastern cultures feeding on fruit-bearing branches of the tree of life. And through that tree, the world was, um, I guess, blessed with fertility and blessed with life. Both Persian and Slavic myths uh, tell of a tree that bore the seeds that that end up with all it, it, as all of the world's plants. It may have looked like a ordinary tree, uh, but in some Persian stories, it was uh, guarded by a dragon actually both in persian and slavic stories it was guarded by a dragon and so peoples of a lot of these cultures would take cutting down a tree very seriously if the tree of life looks like an, or an ordinary tree and uh you may just cut it down by accident and it was guarded by a dragon um you might be pretty careful about cutting that tree down, right? Uh, the Slavs, oftentimes, Slavic peoples would perform sacred ceremonies before taking down a tree because they were so revered. Persians would try their best not to cut down trees, and they would harvest and use trees that fell naturally through natural causes, old age, you know, storms, whatever else. If the tree was on the ground, it was um, there for them to use. Trees of life were also often connected with wisdom. Life and wisdom, a lot of times in, in many cultures, <laughs> probably should and do go hand in hand. Um, the life of Buddha, the story of the life of the Buddha, uh, which I say that like such a Texan, Buddha. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't help it sometimes. My, my West Texas drawl comes out. Was said to have sat under a fig tree and have gained spiritual enlightenment through its his connection with this tree or by spending time under this tree. It was maybe not the direct cause, but as uh, he spent time under this tree, over time he found enlightenment. He reached enlightenment. In uh, Christian theology, the story of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
um, are seen in the story of the Garden of Eden in, again, Christian theology. God ordered Adam and Eve, who were the first man and woman, not to eat the fruit of either tree. Uh, turns out that they decided that, hey, this looks pretty good, and they, eat, they ate from the tree of knowledge, and they became aware of guilt and shame and sin. They were cast out of the garden, out of paradise because of it, um, and they were not allowed to eat the, from the tree of life, which would have given them immortality. It's an interesting picture in this tradition of decisions, right? Of people maybe deciding on the not the best thing of following things other than God in the tradition. And, and you know, I, I've grown up in the church and that may be something that some of you know and some of you don't, but I've, you know, that's a, been a big part of my life. And so this story, as I've learned more about trees and learned more about traditions, um, throughout my life has taken on different meanings and sort of evolved for me, which is, has been a really interesting experience. And, um, there are similar actually traditions through Pacifica and, uh, uh, the Polynesian nations that, um, are similar to the biblical account of the fall from Eden and, um, where men lived under trees and gathered its fruits and, um, women lived under another tree and they gathered fruits and, and lived there. Uh, one day while um, the guardian of this tree was away, the men and women mingled together under one of the trees. Uh, guardian uh, came back. They were not happy about this and told them they, they chose the tree of death, not the tree of life. And from then on, the tree, the, all people would be mortal because of the choice they made. So there's this picture of... Uh, trees being able to give life and give knowledge and give wisdom and in many cultures, many cultures around the world. And uh, the choices made based on that, reflecting on the long-term, I guess, uh, uh, fate of those peoples. And it's really interesting to me as, again, I have uh, grown and, and uh, worked through my beliefs and things like that to see how that has changed in my own life and in my own mind. And Again, the more I live about, the more I learn about trees, the more some of these stories have meant more to me and have, again, changed meaning for me. Um, the, th- the third thing I want to talk about before we kind of start wrapping up, oh, this has gone longer than I expected. That's okay, is tree deities. So there is a belief worldwide in, in lots and lots of cultures and lots and lots of traditions that trees embodied deities, spirits, or uh, maybe trees being, or humans even being changed into trees. Uh, Celtic and European um, peoples uh, worshipped groves of trees. The sacred tree grove is a common thing all over the world. Um, in the Druid traditions, oaks were sacred. Uh, ancient Romans associated oak trees with their sky god Jupiter. Uh, we see this in uh, Greek and Roman mythology. Um, with dryads and nymphs and different uh, creatures that were bound to trees or lived in trees and would come out, but they died when their trees were cut down. Again, if your deities are part of the forest and they live in the trees, you take special care and you take special, um, I guess, reverence when you cut down a tree. Uh, We see this in Japanese mythology too, and there's a story um, in Japan that tells of a man who cherished a willow tree. One day he met a girl under the tree and married this girl. 
uh, although he didn't know anything about her. Her past was a mystery. Um, one day, the emperor orders this tree cut down to build a temple, and this man's wife told him that he was the spirit of that tree. And she died as the tree fit, fell to the ground. Uh, this is an interesting picture about, um, I guess, industry and progress and the way that it relates to the forest and to nature, that um, the forest and nature are very alive. And when we use them for certain purposes, we're damaging not just, oh, this plant out there, but uh, something special, something important. And we see these throughout the world. The Greeks, uh, the uh, nymph Daphne turned into a laurel tree when fleeing through the, forces, uh, the th- fleeing through the forest to get away from Apollo. That happened a lot. That kind of thing happened a lot in Greek mythology. In another Greek myth, uh, the gods turned Bacchus and Philemon, um, a devoted older couple, into an oak tree and a linden tree when they died. Uh, the trees grew close together, so these people, due to their, their love for each other, could live together forever. And we see these over and over throughout cultures and throughout time where uh, trees are attributed to spirits or, or people get to turn into trees and live long-term because of that. Um, one of my favorite stories, and I have talked about this before, I think more than once actually on this show, uh, is The Lord of the Rings. And I, over the years, have read the Lord of the Rings series, uh, honestly, like multiple times, a lot of times, over and over, because I find so much that re- that I resonate with through these stories. And by the way, I'm going to throw it up front here as I talk about Lord of the Rings, that uh, Sam Gamgee, gardener guy that loved potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, is 100% the hero of that story. And if you didn't think he was, you should go back and watch it or read it again. Pay attention. The gardener was arguably the most important character in the story. Plants always win, y'all. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Stay tuned for some interesting information about a cool sticker that's coming out to this effect. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it's really cool. So um, there's so much tree stuff, so much tree stuff in Lord of the Rings. Oh, my goodness. From the Ents, who were like walking, talking trees, the some of the first inhabitants of Middle Earth uh, that represented longevity and memory and sort of a solidness in the world to uh, the trees in, in Lothlorien that were uh, big and majestic and were seen to have had special powers and things like that. There's a really cool story at the end of the, the books, which was not really done very much in the movie, where Sam goes around planting trees from Lorien, and uh, they grow and they're tall and all kinds of stuff. I could go on and on about this. But trees were important in that story um, because, again, they represented nature. They represented uh, something that was other than us that was important to us. And as Saruman and different people were turning evil, they started cutting down trees. And that's a very clear thing that uh, – uh, Tolkien was trying to get across. This was during uh, the World Wars and early to mid-1900s in Europe, and he saw a lot of things that he didn't like in terms of industry and war and all of those things, and he was not so subtle about throwing that in some of his books. Again, you should read Lord of the Rings. You should watch the movies again and look for some of that symbolism in there. Also, uh, Tolkien was a big plant nerd, big plant nerd. Uh, maybe I'll do a whole episode about him sometime. I don't know. Is that something you would care about? Uh, the plants of J.R.R. Tolkien? 
I don't know. I think it, I would listen to that. I hope you would too. But y'all, to kind of wrap up, trees are important, not just for their utility in human life because they produce oxygen and because they give us things to build our houses with and because they give us fruit, but they're important to a global ecosystem and they are important in and of themselves. I think it's sometimes difficult to see the overall importance of life just as it is in and of itself, um, separated from its utility. And I think we don't see that in ourselves. And I don't think we see that in nature sometimes. And I think that that's something we should try to do, that we are valuable in and of ourselves, just like trees are valuable in and of them, in and of themselves. But also they're useful. They do a lot of cool things. And we have attributed so much to them as human monkey primate people <laughs> over the millennia that uh, I, I think we, I can't, I feel like I can't understate or I, I feel like you can't overstate their importance. And again, I just love trees. I like go to go and look at trees. I love to smell trees. Sometimes I, I will just go out in our garden here at Texas Tech and just look at the trees and just sit, sit in a chair and look at trees. I know I'm weird. It's okay. We should know that by now. But uh, do you have tree questions? Is there more things I could cover? Are there other stories that I didn't address? Please let me know. Uh, again, send me an email, connect on social media. I would love to do more follow-up episodes about trees. I do a whole series about trees and maybe I will, but I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what you think I should cover. I want to know what your favorite trees are. Please reach out and let me know. Again, you can find me on social media. You can uh, reach out there. You can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com. And I would love to chat with you, but you know what? That's about all I've got. That's where I'm going to leave it. Y'all are the best. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this and get ready for a really great episode. I don't want to, it's a surprise. I'm going to leave it as a surprise. We're going to talk about bats, but I'm, I'm going to leave the guest as a surprise. But next week, um, if you're listening to this as it comes out, the first week in October of 2021, I've got a really good one coming at you. And I think you should be excited about that. So I love you folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep being cool plant people. Keep being nice to each other. If you're not being nice already, maybe start being nice to each other. But take care, be safe, and we'll talk soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.